0: A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name is Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10 15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the nine o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir go to your left go out that door all the way down to the end of the hall keep to your left all the way down to the stairwell then turn right and go down the stairwell we meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs if you have trouble with stairs there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women are both invited, we're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young, children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual, class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, Ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information, go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. We've reached Romans chapter 2, verse 12. It's a very challenging part of God's word. So let's approach it prayerfully and ask God in our hearts to help us understand what he's trying to say to us here. I think it might be very easy for us to misinterpret what God's saying here. So we need to be very careful. First, let's just read it. This is God's word beginning in verse 11. We looked at verse 11 last time, but let's start there for continuity. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, Okay, so far in this very profound and magnificent letter to the Romans, Paul has referred to the fact that God's dealing with both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews. He's mentioned it three times now. Back in chapter one, he tells us that the gospel is for both Jews and Greeks. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first. And also to the Greek. Then in chapter 2, verse 9, he wrote this, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. And in verse 10, he says, But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. So he's in the process of tearing down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles. The gospel is for both Jew and Gentile. Judgment against sin is for both Jew and Gentile. Eternal life in Jesus is for both Jew and Gentile. And as we saw last time, this was very difficult for some of the Jewish people. After all, God had chosen them to give his law, to give his word to the whole world. It would be through the Jewish people that the Messiah would come. And to them, that translated into some kind of favored status with God. And you can understand how they might feel that way. They figured that simply because they were biological descendants of Abraham, they were certain to receive favor from God. That's just who they were. They were God's favored people. (laughs) But Paul is intent on making it clear God really does not play favorites. Verse 11, there's no partiality with God in verse 12 he says for all who sin without the law will also perish without the law and all who've sinned under the law will be judged by the law now I think there are really two questions regarding partiality that people were struggling with and Paul's dealing with the first question was aren't the Jews in a favored standing with God since he chose them to give the world his word and his law, seemed to them that God must be partial to the Jews. The second question was, how can the pagans be held accountable by God if they haven't even had the opportunity to hear God's law? You could conclude two things, I guess, here. It seemed that God was either being partial against the pagans if they were to be judged in spite of not knowing God's law, or partial toward them if they were going to be allowed to avoid judgment because they hadn't heard God's law. (laughs) I imagine some of you are thinking about that second question. You're thinking, you know, that's pretty close to a question a lot of people ask today. (laughs) How can God judge the heathen when they've never even heard the gospel? Doesn't seem right to some people. Many years ago, when I was a younger man, Every church I was a part of had what we call Thursday night visitation. It was just part of being a church. (laughs) I'm imagining some churches still do that. I don't really know now, but uh, we'd go knocking on doors looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Actually, a, a few years ago, this brings back a memory. One of my close brothers in the Lord, Randy Martin, and I would go door to door looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And I'm assuming that there are churches still doing that, although I think that kind of thing may have taken a major hit after COVID. Anyway, in those days, it was pretty common for people to invite us into their homes. And we would try to direct the conversation toward the gospel at some point. So at some point, we'd usually ask the two diagnostic questions. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? You have eternal life. And then, of course, the second one, suppose you were to die today and find yourself standing before God. And he would ask you, why should I let you come into my heaven? What would you say? But it wasn't too unusual for people to try to sidetrack us a little bit. You know, if we're talking with them and, and it's getting close to being personal, a lot of times they would ask a question. By the way, they say, what do you think happens to all those people who lived in Africa, parts of the world where they've never heard the gospel? And what they wanted to do is shift the conversation away from themselves to something a little more comfortable to talk about. Let's talk about some deep theology, <laughs> some difficult theology. Maybe it's kind of like the woman at the well. You remember this account when Jesus began to talk to her about her personal life and he was beginning to help her understand she needed to repent of some sin. You remember what her action was? It was basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's basically, Hey Jesus, let's talk about something else. <laughs> well, what do you think the best place to worship is? <laughs> let's not talk about me. <laughs> people we visited would often rather talk about the heathen in Africa. So Paul's dealing with that kind of question here. What about those heathen? What about those people who've never had the law, never heard? By the way, James Kennedy, I've talked with you about him before, uh, the one who established Evangelism Explosion. He used to suggest that if people ask what about the heathen in Africa, that the wisest answer might be something like, I think we can trust the wisdom of God to do the right thing about the heathen in Africa. He knows what he's doing. Right now, God's interested in the heathen in this living room. (laughs) Well, well, maybe that's a little strong, but the idea is solid. You get the point. (laughs) You remember in chapter 1, which we've already looked at in some detail, God said that even people who never receive God's word have no excuse not to accept the obvious truth that God certainly exists. He's made himself obvious through his creation. You remember that? So now he's going to add to that, there's also no excuse for anyone to say, Well, I never had God's written law. Therefore, how could I know what was right or what was wrong? There's no way for me to know. (laughs) You see, God knows and God reveals to us here. He's planted a conscience within every one of us. It's part of our being created by God. So whether we've ever heard God's law as it was written out in the Old Testament or not, we know intuitively some things are right and some things are wrong. Every human being has a conscience that will tell him or her some things are right and some things are wrong. Even pagans who've never heard of God's word know it's wrong to steal your neighbor's stuff or to steal your neighbor's wife. Even pagans can figure out if you don't want people lying to you, you better not lie to them. Even pagans know it's wrong to lie. Even pagans know it's wrong to cheat. See what I'm getting at here? All human beings have an inner sense of right and wrong. And all human beings are very much aware we have all done wrong. Even when they don't know exactly what God's word says, they know they have violated their conscience. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we don't need God's word because left to our own devices without God's word, we will use our sinful, fallen, depraved, crooked thinking to pervert God's truth and come up with a personal morality that will ultimately lead to destruction. We'll justify ourselves. We'll rationalize. But what Paul's telling us here is that ultimately, the really important question isn't who did or who did not have the opportunity to hear God's law. The ultimate issue is simply sin. And the truth is very clear, and he's going to make it more clear as he goes along. All have sinned. There are no exceptions to that, except Jesus. Some may not have the written law, but they still sinned, and they know they have. So he says, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Some have sinned without the law. Some have sinned under the law, but all have sinned. And he didn't say all who have sinned without the law are actually innocent and they'll be saved. He says all who sinned without the law will perish without the law. That word perish is the same word Jesus uses in John three sixteen For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But there also seems to be an understanding in this verse that the severity of God's judgment on people will take into consideration the light they did or did not have. Because you notice what he did not say here. He did not say, for all who sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who sinned under the law will perish under the law. He changed the wording there. Did you notice that? I think the point is that the pagans who never heard the law are certainly not innocent. There's no question about that. They're sinners. And without Jesus, they will perish. But they will not be judged by the law in exactly the same way that those who have heard the law will be judged by the law. He's making a distinction here. The Bible has a lot to say about the judgment of God. The Bible has a lot to say about hell. And the descriptions God gives us of hell make us realize it's a really horrific consequence of sin apart from Jesus. It's really, really important that we stay out of that place. And Jesus died to keep us out of that place, to save us from hell. But having said that, God makes it clear that just as there are differences for those of us who will be in his kingdom after the resurrection, there will be differences for those people who are left out, out of his kingdom as well. He doesn't give all the details we might like to have, but he does make that clear. For example, do you remember when Jesus appointed the 70 of his followers to go out in pairs to cities uh, around Galilee where he was going to go personally? And he said, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we're wiping off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. And then Jesus said, I tell you, listen to this. It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And he's not through. He said, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now, there's some difficulties in what Jesus just said there. But in some sense, Sodom and Tyre and Sidon, very sinful cities, are going to be better off than the people who were in those cities who had personally experienced the light of the life and work of Jesus and still rejected him. See what he's saying there? He's saying there will certainly be differences in judgment depending on the light people had. He talked about the same thing in Luke chapter 12. He said, that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, Will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. You hear what he's saying? There's a difference depending on the light you've had. James gives us a warning about differences in God's judgment. This time he's talking to Christians, but he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a difference depending on how much light you have. We're going to talk about this verse a little bit more next time, I think. The point is this, though. God knows every one of the human beings he's created intimately. Intimately. And every one of us is accountable to him. That's true of every human being that's ever lived. And he is the perfectly righteous judge. We can trust God's judgment. And he's the one who said, To whom much is given, of him shall much be required. Now, while we're talking about this kind of thing, I'm going to go out on a limb (laughs) and share a personal belief with you that you don't have to agree with. Okay, I'm saying that up front, but I'm just letting you know, I believe this is what scripture indicates. But the bottom line with all of this is we can trust God to do what's right. And if we don't fully understand everything right now, that's okay someday we'll understand things a lot better. But every single human being is accountable to God for his or her response to his or her knowledge of God and knowledge of right and wrong. And no one, guys, listen now, no one can blame somebody else for his or her own bad response. We know God's given to us believers a command to go and make disciples, right? Of course we do. Great commission. We have a command to be his witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. We also know from the 33rd chapter of Ezekiel that when a watchman fails to warn people of danger, he'll receive a strict judgment for that. Their blood will in some sense be on his hands. But having said that, (laughs) through the years, I've watched many, many dramas that try to dramatize Uh, life after death. And many of them I've seen through the years portray people going into hell. And sometimes they're screaming, if you had only told me, I would have believed. I wouldn't have been going to this awful place. Now, I know I could be wrong. I told you I was getting into deep water here. This is controversial. I'm not sure that's biblically accurate. I tend to believe that if there's anyone anywhere in the world who would have believed, if they'd been given the opportunity, that somehow God will make sure they have the opportunity to believe. I'm basing that on some things Jesus said that are recorded in John chapter 6. Jesus said in John chapter 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me i will never cast out it's john 6:37 a couple of verses later he said this and this is the will of him who sent me and of course he's talking about his father god the father this is the father's will that i should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day and then a few verses later he said this no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And then near the end of this chapter, Jesus said this, and underlining what he's already said. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the father. So when we put all these words together, we learn that God the Father is the one who draws us to Jesus and he gives us to Jesus. That's the only way we can come to Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And when God does draw us, we certainly do come to Jesus. All that the Father has given unto me shall come to me. And of course, when we come to me, to him, he never casts us out. He never loses us. So it seems to me that if any human being anywhere in the world truly would have believed, given the opportunity to believe, that means God would have to be working in them if they really are, would believe, because no one can come to Jesus unless God's drawing them. And if God's working in them, he will somehow or another bring them to himself. Now, I admit there's some mysteries here and a lot of questions I'm sure I can't answer. But I don't really believe that people who wind up in hell can honestly say they would have believed if they had been given the chance. They can't blame anyone but themselves. They can't blame somebody else for not telling them. In a way, if you think about it, if it's true that some people who go to hell would not have gone there if we'd only been more faithful to tell them about Jesus, it kind of gives disobedient people who know God's truth the power to send people to hell. If they would have believed, if we'd only told them and we refused to tell them, therefore they couldn't believe, then we have power over their souls. If we refuse to tell others the truth about Jesus, we're certainly committing the most heinous kind of sin. I can't imagine a Christian having that kind of attitude, but it's at least theoretically possible. Christians can sin, and we'll certainly reap the consequences of a sin that horrific. But if they really would have believed, if only someone would tell them, I have to believe somehow God will seek to it that someone tells them. And God has many, many ways and many kids to get them the message and draw them to Jesus. You may have heard some of the very unusual ways that God's chosen to get the gospel to some of his kids. It's pretty amazing some of those stories. Now, I confess again, I'm way over my head here, and you don't have to agree with all that. Someday, God may show me that my thinking has been muddled and confused, and and I certainly don't want to sound arrogant about this, but you can give it some thought of your own, come to your own conclusions. Now, I want us to look at verse 13, and it continues this line of thinking, but first let me say this. In the original Greek, there was no punctuation. you aware of that? No punctuation in the original Greek. Translators have to add punctuation based on the content and based on the context, and it's very interesting to me, and I think it's very significant, that the translators of the old King James Version saw verses 13, 14, and 15 as a kind of parenthetical explanation that would explain verse 12. And I think they had a good reason for that. You'll see the parentheses in the King James Version. Let me show you what it looks like. This is the King James Version. You can see it on the screen there. I want to begin reading at verse 12. And the parenthesis that explains verse 12 starts at verse 13, and it will be in italics on the screen. Verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Parenthesis, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Closed parenthesis. That is the parenthesis in the explanation of verse 12. And then we have verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So the parenthesis begins at verse 13 and ends at the end of verse 15. In the parentheses, he's elaborating what he said in verse 12. He's explaining that just because the Jews had God's law and had heard God's law many times didn't mean they were justified. By the way, at first glance, it seems that he might be teaching that some are justified by doing the law. Sounds like it on the surface. We have to know all the scripture here. But notice what he does and does not say in verse 13. He does not say, listen, this is important. He does not say that the doers of the law are justified by doing the law. He didn't say that. He doesn't tell us here how they're justified. We know from other passages, we're not justified by doing the law. (laughs) We're justified by grace through faith in the blood of Jesus. Paul makes that very clear in his other writings, even here to the Romans. But when we are justified, we will be those who do the law. So he's saying here, doing the law is is evidence of our justification, not the cause of it. He's just not dealing with that here. Yes, the doers of the law will be justified, but they're justified by faith in Jesus, who enables them to be doers of the law. You see how that works. And in verse 14, he's emphasizing what we've already seen, that Gentiles who've never heard the law will have by nature, because they're created by God, They have this God-given nature, which includes a conscience, so they they, they do know what's right. And in verse 15, he says, that truth's obvious by the way they accuse each other and sometimes excuse each other. They know some things are right. They know some things are wrong. So they go around accusing each other and excusing each other. But listen, this is why the princess is so important. That accusing and excusing will not happen on the day of judgment. No one will be excusing ourselves on that day. And without the princess, it sounds like they may be excusing themselves on the day of judgment. No way. Every mouth will be shut before the throne of God. That's why I think the princess makes a lot of sense. So the main point is given to us in verse 12 and 16. And verses 13, 14, and 15 are inserted to explain the point he made in verse 12. So with that paragraph construction in mind, let's just leave out the parenthesis for a moment and put verses 12 and 16 together. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And that makes perfect sense. Pagans will certainly not be able to excuse themselves before the throne of God. Well, this is pretty heavy stuff. Paul's not done, but he's building a case that every human being is accountable to God and that no human being will ever have any excuse before God. That God is the perfectly just judge who makes no mistakes. And ultimately, all mankind has chosen sin and deserves to experience God's wrath. In the end, either we will suffer the wrath with all the others who deserve it, just like we do, or we will cast ourselves on Jesus. And receive his grace for our salvation and eternal life. So I hope this makes us all extremely thankful to God for Jesus. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we've been in some heavy parts of your word here. And Lord, I'm sure there are different interpretations of your word. You know I've done the best to communicate what I believe you're saying to us here. But Father, I want to acknowledge humbly before you, I hope that I know I could be wrong. Lord, uh, please don't let us be the kind of people who feels like when we disagree with other people that we act like everybody's wrong but us. We don't want to be that way, Lord. We, we want to stay teachable. We want to realize that, that you can show your kids truth if we'll stay teachable and open to you. So help us to be that way, Lord. Help us not to be set in our ways and stuck in ruts. Help us just to be open to you. But Lord, thank you that you're revealing yourself to us here in this passage. Thank you that you're teaching us things about what it means to be lost. You're teaching us things about the truth that all of us are sinners. None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve to be your kids. None of us deserve to have our sins forgiven. All of us deserve judgment and wrath. But Lord, thank you that by your grace, by your amazing, marvelous grace, You sent God the Son into this world to die on that cross to pay for our sins so that that sin debt that we owed and could not pay would be paid by him so that we can have eternity with you by just trusting Jesus. Thank you that you're willing to apply his righteousness to us even as you applied our sin to him. It's an amazing thing, Lord. It blows our minds. We don't understand a lot but we thank you for what you have given us to understand. We give all glory and praise and thanksgiving to you for Jesus in his name. Amen.